In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, I haven't been alive for that long, but there is one thing that I've noticed about faithful Christians and pastors alike. One thing that I've seen across many, many churches from all around the world, no matter their situation, and something I think you all might agree is true. And the one thing I've seen is this, that there is a great amount of discouragement in the church. And it seems like the longer you're a Christian, the longer you're more faithful to the Word of God, the more tempted you are to become disheartened and dismayed and just overall disappointed with this life and this church and the world. We look at our own life and then we get depressed. We look at our finances, our relationships, our children, and and it's as if we can't help but feel downcast. We look at our country, And we see people get away with murder, literally. Sex traffickers and drug dealers get away with their wickedness, with no punishment in sight. We see governments and politicians take advantage of people and ruin their lives. We look at our church and only fear that our church is tearing apart at the seams. That our churches will be taxed into poverty one day. That pastors can't afford one day, can't afford to feed their families by preaching the gospel. That we're losing members and finances. That there won't be any children left in the church in a few more years. It doesn't look like anything is getting better. But the future looks like a very, very dark place. You look at all these things and then you think, God, don't you see this? Don't you see how awful things are right now? Where are you? And why don't you do anything about it? The Apostle Peter knows this and he knows our condition. And so he encourages us with these words saying, I am stirring up your sincere mind by a way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. And he goes on to say this. He says, Above all, understand that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, the unbelieving world just looks at us and laughs and scoffs and mocks us. They taunt us saying, look, even if your God exists, which he probably doesn't, it's obvious that he doesn't care. Look at how bad all of this stuff is. What's the benefit of being a Christian and going to church every Sunday? God's not helping you. He said he'd come back for you, but it's 2,000 years. Where is he? So they say, look, nothing is going to change. Nothing will get better. We're stuck in the monotony of this life. It's all the same thing. People die and they're still in their graves. Bad people get away with lying and cheating and murdering and stealing. Get used to it. Jesus isn't coming back for you and he never will. So that doesn't sound so encouraging. That doesn't sound like anything good. But Peter continues by saying that all of these scoffers overlook one fact, that just as this world had a beginning, so too it will have an end. Just as God created the world with his word, he will destroy it with the same 
word. And just as the people mocked Noah while he built the ark in the middle of a drought, and just as they were wiped away when the flood came, so too God will flood the world with fire when he returns. See, Peter doesn't encourage us by giving us a false hope. He's not teaching us to be blindly optimistic and just give us happy thoughts. He's concerned with teaching us the truth. God caused Peter to write these words down so you learn them. God wants us to have a pure, a sincere, and an honest mind. And the truth he wants you to learn is this. If it's true that the scriptures predicted that there would be scoffers who scoff against us and we see them even now, then what he says next is also equally true. By the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Did you hear that? There is a fire that is the wrath of God that is being kept and held back by God until the day of judgment. So God sees all that is happening. He sees all of the injustice, all of the lies, all of the murder, all of the abortions, all the corruption and the mockery. He sees all of these things, but he hasn't poured out his wrath upon it yet. Not completely, but he will. And when that day breaks upon us in a moment, there will be nothing but fire. Everything will turn to dust and ashes. And this will be for the judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, the impenitent, and the unbelieving. Peter says, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God will expose all of the sin, the hypocrisy, and the unbelief and bring it to light. And dear saints, this is good news for you. Because there's all this stuff that gets in the way of us enjoying our life, enjoying our children, enjoying our marriage, enjoying one another in the same church, enjoying God and his word and so forth. There's all this stuff that takes away from whatever is good. And it's precisely all of this stuff that will be burned up forever. Everything that discourages you, that worries you, that causes you pain and sorrow, all the misery and anguish, every drop of sin and wickedness will turn to dust. And you will be saved from it all. There will be no more sin or unrighteousness, no homicide or murder or hate or envy or broken families or lies or tears or sadness, no burdened conscience or guilt. All of this will be cast into hell forever. And just as Noah and his family were spared from the flood on the ark, so too you will be spared from the flood of God's wrath on that final day in the ark of his church. You're in this world, but you're not of it. And you know that you're not of this world because this world and everything in it will pass away. But you will live forever. Those of you who repent of every sin, who plead the mercy of Christ, who trust in his forgiveness will not be put to shame. He forgives your sins now and on the last day they will be gone from you forever. Everything will be made right and God will vindicate you and he will prove your faith in his word to be true and right in the face of scoffers. So this is what we eagerly look forward to. Christ's return. 
And while we live in this world, while we live in this veil of tears, it seems like forever. It seems like he's not coming back. So why is it taking so long? Scripture says this, Beloved, don't overlook this one fact, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. This isn't some formula for you to calculate when God will return. Now, it's simply stating the fact that what seems like a really, really long time for us is in fact not very long to him. These thousands of years are like a day in his sight. So don't think that God is slow or late to keep his promise. In fact, the reason he hasn't returned yet is not because he's waiting for some numerically significant day or because he's waiting for some sort of special event to happen in the world first. No, the reason he is waiting is for you. Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not desiring that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And this is the truth. God knows that some of you aren't repenting. He knows that some of you still cling to your sins, still defend them, still excuse them, still explain them away. He knows that some of us are pushing away the gifts of God through impenitence and unbelief. So what has God done? God, out of his deep and profound love and mercy for you, he has given you one more day. One more Sunday to come to church and hear this very word, this exact word. He has ordained your life in such a way that you heard this word, this lesson, this sermon at the specific moment in time so that you would repent of your sins. God loves you. He sent his only begotten son to die for you. He has purchased and won you from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that you may be his own and live with him under his kingdom. He wants you to believe this, to repent of your sin, knowing that he wants nothing more in this world than to forgive it. He wants you to be sorrowful, Sorrowful over your sins and to trust in the forgiveness he gives. God sees all of the evil things happening in this world, but the reason he hasn't returned yet is because he is waiting for the last thing he is waiting for you. So it's true. You don't know when God will return. He may not return today. But it's also true that you don't know when he won't return, which means he may. So don't think for one second that you can time your repentance out. Don't think that you can just wait in impenitence and fall asleep in the faith. Don't think that you have a long life left to live. Don't think that death and the day of judgment is some obscure thing off in the future that we'll never ever see. Now is not the time to lie about yourself or make yourself look good or paint yourself in a different light. Now is not the time to be stubborn or foolish. Now is the time to come clean. 
and repent of your sin and say, yes, indeed, I am a poor, miserable sinner and confess these sins. Anything else you try won't work. Repent today as if it's the very last day of your life. As if this is the last time you will be hearing his word. As if it's the last day of this world. Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. All right. For those of you still following along, Peter tells us what we're supposed to be doing while we wait. He says, since all of these things are going to be dissolved, and what sort of, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? So you're to wait for the Lord, not grumbling or being discouraged. Rather, you're to wait for him by putting your faith in him, repenting of your sin, and living a holy and godly life. What does it mean to live a holy and godly life? It means to live your life according to the law of God, according to his Ten Commandments. It means that you're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means that you cast aside the cares of this world for a short time that try to distract you from the word of God. It means that you remember your baptism actively and that you listen to God's word and that you take and that you eat the body and blood of Christ. It means that you come to church and you bring your children with you. Fathers, it means not being lazy. It means actually teaching your wives and children the word of God and encouraging them to repent and to put their faith and their hope in Christ. It means that you bear one another's burdens here in the congregation and throughout your life, that you make every effort to be conformed to the image of Christ, that you imitate his generosity, that you imitate his love and his patience and his forgiveness. You're not doing any of these things in order to be saved or win your salvation. Do them because you have salvation. Because you are practicing for the resurrection. So when you do these things, when you fight against your sin, you're confessing that the day will soon come when this sin will die and never bother you again. And when you do good works, you are confessing that you're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The good things you sweat and struggle to do in the name of Jesus now are the things that you will do perfectly with ease in the resurrection, with no fear of falling away. So practice loving one another now as you will be doing in the resurrection. Practice living in peace together now as you will do when Christ returns. Practice doing good to others now as you will in eternity. Practice holding God's word sacred and gladly hearing it and learning it as you will in eternity. When you do good works, it's because you put your faith in Christ who saved you through his cross. When you come to church and repent, you're continually confessing that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. When you do these things, You're marking clearly the line between you and the unbelieving world that will pass away. So endure whatever scoffing and mocking comes your way, knowing Jesus will not forget you. Don't grow weary or faint, and don't be downcast thinking that your future is dark. 
In fact, you should rejoice with every day, every hour, every moment that passes, knowing that God is being patient and loving and gracious and merciful to you. Count the patience of the Lord as your salvation. When you look at the sad and sorry state of your life, your church and your country, don't despair. Because on that day, all these things will turn to dust and his word and you will remain forever. So don't be discouraged for a moment. Jesus is coming to save you. Wait patiently and joyfully for the new heavens and the new earth. And there Jesus will show you that all the present sufferings of this life are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to you. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. Prepare my heart while still on earth to turn from worldly pleasure and claim your water's second birth to find in you my treasure. My freedom from all doubt and death, your blood that gives and grows the faith that can meet death with boldness. Help me these few short days redeem and love because you love me. Yes, from your wounds, Christ, send a stream which to good works will move me that I may live in joy and peace until from pain you give release and life with you forever. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.